0: Hello, and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism, cooperation, mutual aid, non-domination in your everyday life. I am your host, Graham Colbertson. Normally on the first of each month, I release an episode from my Anarchism 101 series, but the first of this month is Mardi Gras. That's right, we are going to New Orleans today on Mardi Gras to learn from my guest, Meredith King, just how anarchist is Mardi Gras? Is today's New Orleans festival an expression of folk egalitarianism and anarchism, as David Graeber suggests it might be? You will find that the answer is yes and no. I will say we had a little technical difficulty, so there are places where Meredith cuts out because of the connection. Sorry about that, I've done my best to Clean that up. I still think the conversation sounds great overall. So that is after the music. So, Meredith, w- welcome to Everyday Anarchism.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm excited for this.
0: Wonderful. Um, I'm going to start. So I reached out to you because I was reading the new David Graeber, David Wingrove book it finds that tries to find. Graver would definitely say anarchism, but forms of freedom going way, way, way back as far as we can in prehistory, and they work sort of backwards from the Enlightenment. And when they get to the Middle Ages, they talk about this possibly, anarchic or egalitarian moment in things like carnival. So I'll read you the quote, and then you can just tell me the extent to which you think. Um, Today's Mardi Gras in New Orleans might contain or might not contain some of these elements, and we'll just go from there. So here's the quote. A certain folk egalitarianism already existed in the Middle Ages, coming to the fore during popular festivals like Carnival, May Day, or Christmas, when much of society reveled in the idea of a world turned upside down, where all the powers and authorities were knocked to the ground or made a mockery of. Often the celebrations were framed as a return to some primordial age of equality, the age of Cronus or Saturn or the land of Cocaine. True, it's never entirely clear how far such egalitarian ideals are merely a side effect of hierarchical social arrangements that obtained at ordinary times. One of the whole points of creating a carnival king or May Queen is that they exist in order to be dethroned uh so that we've got this idea that there's some sort of anarchic egalitarian freedom and then there's also the idea that they are really just a a, a reproduction of the hierarchical social arrangement so both ideas and i just thought i would start by saying what you what you thought about that
1: so uh first of all i will say there is nothing that a new orleanian likes more than talking about new orleans uh it is one of our greatest joys in life to tell people everything about new orleans uh but you know that said These are obviously partially based on research and the academic side and partially based on being a New Orleanian uh, and my experiences with Mardi Gras and my interactions with that Um, so you know I always want to put that out there that it's sort of a a combination which is uh, always fun to talk about Mardi Gras from both of those aspects as a person who experiences it and as an academic I really like being able to do that um, it's interesting because when I think of Mardi Gras, one of the first things that I think about is uh, how the idea of the carnivalesque plays into that. And this is an idea by um, Mikhail Bakhtin that was originally applied to literature, but we sort of applied outwards into culture and its studies. Um, and a lot of it has. You can see that the quote that you read clearly has some basis in that because a lot of what uh, was said is a lot of what Bakhtin talks about when he talks about carnival. Um, He's talking about the idea lots of times of this sort of uh, place where all of these pleasures and all of this uh, these activities that you wouldn't normally be able to do in your everyday life uh, come to light and are given a greater meaning through that. And one of the things that bakhtin talks about a lot is literally dethroning king mm. and how that necessitates um, the crowning of a new king in that. And he also talks about how uh, true carnival is for everyone who experiences it, right? Everyone is created in it. Everyone is, is part of it. It's not um, grouped in that way. And what I think is interesting when we think about that and we think about Mardi Gras um, is that Mardi Gras is limited in many ways. So it has all of those pieces. It has this concept of like um, carnal desire and uh bringing out all of these things that would not you would not normally do you're not normally gonna in, and act the way that you act during Mardi Gras one of the unofficial unofficial catchphrases of Mardi Gras uh comes from a song that everyone there's songs that people play during Mardi Gras traditions we'll get to that but uh one of them is do what you wanna and you will hear people say this all the time during Mardi Gras like it's Mardi Gras do what you wanna and like. That happens a lot, but Mardi Gras is very limited, right? It's either when you think about it, uh, you can think about it as a season or even a day, but those are structured by the Catholic church, ultimately, right? So when we think about the history of Mardi Gras and we think about where it comes from, we're talking about essentially a Catholic celebration. New Orleans is a Catholic city. It's French and then it's Spanish and then it's French and then it's American, it's a long history. but uh, you know, that's a lot of Catholicism in there for you, no matter where you slice it. Um, and that's where sort of the, the feeling in the history of our city comes from. And whereas a lot of America is a Protestant Puritan culture that it's sprung up from, New Orleans specifically is not. Uh, so we have this Catholic thing going on. And Mardi Gras is in opposition, has to be, to Lent. The whole reason that you do Mardi Gras, the whole reason that you eat a, a ridiculous amount of king cake and drink to excess and party is because on Ash Wednesday, all of that is going away for 40 days. Um, and so there is a limit to what you can do. It's not a sudden desire. It's not it's brought on by people. Uh, sort of organically wanting a thing it's something that is within the structure of between epiphany a catholic moment a catholic holiday and lent right that's when mardi gras exists so that's my sort of like initial thought about this
0: yeah that's so that's really interesting the the thing that leaps to mind to me and this is already going to take us away from where i thought we might go because because you brought up catholicism and Protestantism, and one of the great mysteries, I mean, uh, any of us who work on cultural history are dealing with this, this, this problem of Protestantism, which it is the idea that there does not need to be hierarchical authority and sort of everyone gets to do whatever they want to do, and yet despite this emphasis on personal freedom protestantism somehow has produced it seems a much much greater cultural uh, culture of conformity than catholicism has so if you think it would be like oh we could have this uh, protestantism which would be kind of anarchic and fun it's 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 exactly the opposite and then catholicism which is supposed to be all hierarchical and top down in fact seems to have so many more spaces spaces for exploration and difference within, and we can get back into the meaning of Catholic as all-encompassing all as well, that's that's part of it. It just seems like there's so, and I keep finding uh, anarchist Catholics, which I would have thought, you know, is, is impossible, and yet there's something, there's this tradition, whether it goes back to Francis of Assisi or whoever, you want to this idea that there is some freedom within the structure that seems to not uh being raised calvinist there was no freedom within that <laughs> within that so-called freedom
1: um you know it's it's always um something that i i think about i am not catholic myself uh and being raised in a very catholic city i think i know more about catholicism than the sort of average person out oh, there that's how it always and, is you can't get away from it here um it's just you know it's not my tradition but it it is everyone's tradition in New Orleans. And one of the things that I do notice and that I think about a lot and I think brings us back to this in interesting ways is that uh, within structure is exactly where people find places for freedom, right? And uh, which brings me to something that I was gonna bring up again in another way, not necessarily where I thought this would go, but brings me to it, uh, which is this sort of the other big thing that I think about when I think about sort of the structures of Mardi Gras is the concept of cultural hegemony. Hmm. So within this place where we have seemingly, we have freedom, ultimately there is a cultural structure that it's telling us this is the time to have freedom. This is when you can have it. Here are the margins that you can push. Here are the traditions that you can have And one of the things that I find interesting about cultural hegemony, at least how cultural studies and media studies tends to use it um, is that there's always room on the margins and the edges for things to be incorporated. So whatever it is that you think is subversive or new or going to take down the system, the system will find a way to incorporate that and make it part of the system, right? And wrap it all in there and tie it in a bow. And so if you have a system uh, to sort of fight against, you're going to be able to seem a little bit more free because you're not necessarily pushing against those edges all the time. You already know what those structures are. And I think that's maybe why you find some Catholics who are like, oh, yeah, within this, we can do X and Y because we know where those edges are. We know where those margins are. Um, and I'm sure I would have friends who are Catholic who would tell me like, no, Catholicism is much more free than that, and like there's this history of social justice and all of these things, which is absolutely true. I know so many social justice Catholics, and like I'm 100% here for that. And like the Jesuit tradition is very strong here, um, and things like that happen. But ultimately, these are still all like big hierarchical structures where you need your place in them. Uh, And within that, then it's easy to celebrate a small amount or wiggle a little bit. I think about, uh, it's a bad analogy, but like a little kid, right? Where you tell them you can do X or Y, right? You give them sort of a seeming, it's a seeming choice. And they go like, oh, I want to wear the purple socks today, not the blue socks. And you're (laughs) like, great. But ultimately they have to put on socks.
0: Yeah, this is the this is also the Coke or Pepsi logic. You go to the store, you can buy anything right. you want. You can buy Coke, you can buy Pepsi, you can buy store brand Coke, you can buy Diet Coke. Right. Look at all these choices you have.
1: I have so many choices, and then that makes you feel like you're doing a thing versus going like, uh, no, I'm not drinking a soda. I'm not I'm not buying something from the store even right. more than drinking a soda. Right? Like I don't want to buy a thing. I don't want to go to the store. I'm gonna grow things in the yard. Like that's yes. the the actual freedom that we're not seeing
0: right um, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I guess one thing that pops in my head that I guess I'm gonna say, which is maybe unrelated, is this i I do think uh people in the left wing in America, and I will count myself in this number, have no idea what to do with Pope Francis as seeing as he represents this. <laughs> this form of conservatism that is also inflected by social justice and a sort of hierarchical dominance that it also in, claims to be or maybe even is humble in some sort of way and it's just like we us we're like wait what the right-wingers i guess also don't know what to do with him yeah
1: i mean if it's anything i think that again new orleanians are sort of maybe very predisposed to understand what to do to right. me, with this guy because we have a lot of that here you have so many people who will count themselves as liberal left-wing, maybe even on like the radical end of things who are Catholic, like on Ash Wednesday to bring it back to this, like they go and get their ashes. Like it's, that is what they are doing. And if anything, that tradition, they would say it informs all Mm -hmm. of their principles. They would say it's the basis of their principles and that they are, uh, I mean, I guess I don't want to put too many words in their mouths, but like the the conversation of who is ultimately doing the things that the Bible would tell you to do comes up a lot, and yeah. what you know, the idea of Jesus as a socially a social justice Jesus, Catholic, Jesus <laughs> comes as radical, up, Absol- right, comes absolutely, absolutely. It's not uh, unaccounted for in this conversation. And then so. that
0: radicalism is is channeled through this uh, through this structure, this hierarchy, this organization that is often treated as the most conservative body in in the world. And right. I think that just well, besides maybe the u s. Supreme Court. And I think that just blows Ugh. away uh, uh, people, people in America. Um, yeah, people except for the ones apparently who are from New Orleans, who are who are yeah. just comfortable with this way of being.
1: It's it's an interesting, you know, you just you you grow up around it. It's just sort of a, that juxtaposition of um, freedom and overarching rule is just a thing that you grow up with. And again, Mardi Gras is just sort of a huge part of how you see that and how you understand that. Right? It is the ultimate appearance of freedom within so many boxes
0: so in this it's sense layers Mardi Gras is layers. almost like a a microcosm of of this entire way of being of freedom within these structures that's fascinating uh, so one thing I did want to ask I, I actually kind of want to just keep talking about Catholicism but we <laughs> I, I, I I want to get back to Mardi Gras so the other question is sort of like to what extent so we've we've established the way that Mardi Gras fits in within this Catholic tradition. And as I'm sure the tourists do not think about, it, represent, it, it, it represents a moment that you in some ways are going to pay for, um, that you're going to expiate over the over the course of the next weeks. And that is obviously not the, the, the thing that people think about when they think about getting beads or um, getting drunk in the French Quarter. Besides that form of structure though, there's also this, the way it's structured as a as a civic institution there. And, and that's one that I do not have a firm grasp on in terms of the cruise and how that all fits together. So could you just, I guess, describe that a little sure. bit? Sure,
1: yeah. So within the way that we sort of celebrate Mardi Gras in a contemporary sense, and obviously again, it being Catholic tradition, there are different versions of Mardi Gras, Shrove Tuesday, carnival celebrations, all over the world, even all over Louisiana, there are different ones within New Orleans specifically, which is what I am most qualified to speak to. Um, the way that we tend to celebrate is individual organizations that hold parades that publicly parade um, and give that to the public. And that's sort of the what it looks like on the outside, right? So each crew, each parade that you would go see uh, is an individual organization with members who pay dues, who sign up, who do things for the organization. And this starts, Mardi Gras starts on Epiphany. There are crews that we would say roll is how we would say uh, they roll on Epiphany and they're, I mean, actually it's a walking crew and one that rides on a streetcar, but truly they roll (laughs) um, is how you put that. And then there's like a little bit of a lull. And then as it gets closer to actual Mardi Gras day, it picks up in the two weeks before there's uh, parades all over the weekend. And again, those are individual organizations. And then as you get closer and closer, starting the Wednesday before Mardi Gras, there are parades every night on the weekends. there are parades day and night. Um, And then Mardi Gras is just sort of what it builds up to. And those again are all individual organizations. It's not like I can just decide today that I want to go be on a float next Wednesday and like do that. Right. right. This so, is a structure. So in
0: this respect, actually, this actually sounds to me like a perfect version of anarchism. We'll 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 get to the top down element in a set. So one of the big questions. In anarchism, I mean, I've had so many conversations about this with people who are like, well, what are you going to do about climate change? You need big centralization to deal with climate change, to which my response is, well, no. I mean, if everyone, if everyone protests the coal power plant in their uh, community, that you, you don't need a huge organization to do that. You just need a bunch of little organizations coming together. So it sounds like this is a version. I mean, the like the anarchists often call it confederation, right? You've got people who get together in an organization and they do this parade. It's just one uh, parade. Just one crew is rolling. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah.
1: There's several. There's several crews that roll on a certain night as we get closer. But yes, right. one. And one so, crew.
0: and then without knowing about this grassroots structure, it's going to look to you. Like it's some kind of, you know, top down thing where it's all planned out. But in fact, each one of those things, the whole structure was created first with individuals forming crews and then with crews rolling at different times. And then ta da. It's it's a confederation rather than a uh, I don't know, monolithic structure. Does that does that make sense?
1: So yes. Yes and no. So what of is it, right? In everything. Um Anyone who has ever been my student will know that all I ever say to them is like, well, all you're gonna get is more questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's all we have for you. Um, so yes and no. Uh, in some ways, yes, right? Like these crews, most for the most part, um, are ones that someone decided to start a crew. Someone created a, a charter and someone put something together and they just decided, decided to start a crew. And that really starts in the, around the 1850s, um with the mystic crew of comus the first crew uh, and that's really where that where that starts and they wanted to parade in the streets but as we see it now the city in a lot of ways does run everything so these are individual crews right and you pay your dues as a member and you get to ride and you get to uh experience this and lots of them have like uh whether they're actually doing good philanthropy or not. They have theoretical philanthropy wings and things like that um, as part of it, but you still need a parade permit. You can't just bring your float down the street. You need a parade permit. Uh, They're easy to get, but you need one. You need to um, get approved by the city to have for bigger crews, right? Which is sort of what we're talking about and I can get into some of the more organic smaller crews in a second, but for bigger crews, there is a prescribed night that they're on. It doesn't change. The city has put out this schedule. Right. Okay. The city has uh, police force that have to be there. You have a specific route that you take, um, and I can give. This year is actually a really good example. There's a, a shortage of uh, police to cover parades, and they've shortened the traditional mm. routes, and it's been a Huge thing. And instead of crews just saying, no, this is where we parade, you can come get us. The answer is like, no, well, we have to do a shorter route if that's how we can do this, right? So even if there is internal organization that is sort of by the people, there is still the larger structure of the city uh, telling you when you can parade and where you can parade. If you common phrases that you would hear during carnival season would be things like, oh, I can't get to you. That's in the box. And what that means is that you are literally boxed in by the parade route. You can't get across it. Right. It's not like the parade route changes. I can tell people, uh, my, I previously lived on the Mardi Gras parade route, which was amazing, uh, before I had to unfortunately leave that apartment, but I would tell people long in advance i would look at the dates and be like these are days where i am at my house and i would tell my job like these are days that like if i can leave early or work from <laughs> home i need to because i know that it will be blocked off by the cops at a certain time not just by the physical parade going on the city will block off all the streets close to the parade route cuz so you can't get in right you can't just drive your car in uh so you'll hear people say like i can't do that i'm in the box and that's like a thing that you know Um, And you'll also hear people refer to things days by the big parade that is on that day. Mm -hmm. Even if there are other parades that are that day, if you ask any New Orleanian what the Thursday before Mardi Gras is, they will tell you Muses Thursday. If you ask them what the Saturday before Mardi Gras is, they will say Endymion Saturday. Like these are the names of those days. And while we have Lundi Gras the day before Mardi Gras, And then Mardi Gras is the names of those days. We've given the names to these other days by these crews because that's when they parade. And if a crew changes a night, which has happened maybe like once in my memory, and it's probably happened more than that, but that I can think of, it's a big deal. And so like, and those are city things that have come in. Those aren't things that people are like, oh, I I just want to do it. You know, we're going to schedule it. What is everyone's like, I'm going to send out a a thing to see when we can all do it and everybody go do the doodle for when we can parade <laughs> like that's not that's not what it is the city has put together a schedule.
0: Yeah, I would say this is the perfect story that you get over and over again, right? I mean, there's so many examples of this throughout history. Obviously, the the big unions like the AFL, CIO and the Teamsters are an example of this is these are grassroots things, individual shops that get organized and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you end up with someone like Jimmy Hoffa, who is basically God emperor and can do whatever he wants and can mandate anything, even though this institution was built from the grassroots, it gains this hierarchical top-down structure. The other famous example one is, you know, the United States of America was, had had an Articles of Confederation for a little while, and pretty soon the people at the top were like, no, that doesn't work for us, let's do this constitution thing.
1: But I think that America winds up being sort of an interesting uh, analog in some ways to this, right? Because when we think of the myth that we have told of America, it's very much like the sort of uh, every, every man was sick of having this monarchy rule over them. And so they took up arms. And actually what happened is a bunch of rich dudes didn't want to pay taxes. And it was a top-down situation, right? That is still the, the upper crust who decided to do a thing, and then were are like, "You there, Johnny, pick up a gun," and like that's much more of how that was. And in some ways, I think it's interesting to use that analog for Mardi Gras because these crews, for all that we can say, you know, someone decided to start them. Uh, they are at least the the older crews, what we would say, sort of the old line crews, uh, are secret societies. Mm-hmm. These are not uh, egalitarian beautiful uh, organizations where like me as a woman could go up and be like, hello, sir, I would like to gain entrance into your extremely old crew. Like that is not how this works. This is somebody's family who has been in this crew forever, uh, or maybe someone who is a little bit newer, who like knew someone who knew someone who went to the right country club, right? These are exclusive organizations. They're secret organizations. And for them, what Mardi Gras is about, which has nothing to do with parading, they put on a a parade. They do. That is a public-facing thing. But what they also do is they hold a ball. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is largely about for many of these sort of older crews, um, is this ball, which is essentially a debutante ball. Uh, (laughs) They parade out like. College-aged women, which at least, bless, at least they're not younger than college-aged, uh, they parade out college-aged women wearing white dresses and, like, present them to the court. It's literally set up as a court. Crews have, often old crews have a king, a queen, dukes, maids, a whole court. Newer crews sometimes will also have a captain or they'll have, like, a something that they call it instead of, like, a king or a queen. But... Crews have kings and queens. It's set up to be a hierarchy. It's set up to be a court. And you present yourself to the court as a woman. And the crew in lots of these balls, um, they stay masked throughout the entire thing. You don't, theoretically, you shouldn't know who the crew members are for some of these things. They present, uh, I don't even know how to describe a tableau. It's like a little... uh, play but not even necessarily really uh, that are traditionally many of them extremely racist uh, and truly terrible and there are many old crews that don't parade at all they're essentially just secret societies running around new orleans that are crews that's what they are uh, and they do their balls during mardi gras season and uh they you know uh, young girls will be part of this and come, you know, be a maid in that crew or whatever it is, but they do not parade. Some of them have never paraded. Some of them decided that uh, they could no longer parade. So in 1991, uh, the city council uh, decided that if you were going to publicly parade, you could not discriminate against who your members were. And they asked for member lists from these secret societies. And as a response, The secret society said, oh, no, it's a freedom thing. We can't give you member lists. We're not going to publicly parade. We will just have our ball and our society part of this. But realistically, what they were saying is like, we will not let a black person in over our dead body. Uh, And one of these crews has since come back to parading. But the oldest crew, Comus, has not. They do Mm. not parade anymore. They will not parade. It is just a secret society of old white men. You literally never know who Comus is. He never shows his face. It is not publicly announced. He wears a mask the entire time. Uh, it's You do not know who he is. And that's part of what Mardi Gras is. So yes, there's an organization that they formed, but it is an organization that is meant to be a deep hierarchy with lots of social implications.
0: Okay, there's there's so much that this is so fascinating. Thank you, <laughs> so, so So the first thing to say is, I'm gonna push the US analog even further, right? Because this is something, something that, you know, students will sometimes read Jefferson and get very inspired. Because, you know, Jefferson has some great things to say about liberty and grassroots things and everything. Great
1: so, writer.
0: Yeah, oh, he is a great writer, isn't he? A much better writer than Hamilton. But then you read, I think it's just Federalist number one, where Hamilton says, these people who are the powerful people in these states they don't want grassroots democracy they want no elite over them and so the george washington alexander hamilton process uh, promise is that you can have a big elite at the top who will in the name of the little people stop some of the uh current dominant elites from discrimination so Obviously, this is, excuse me, this is a something that the federal government I mean, the federal government many times has discriminated against black people, women, poor people, everyone, you name it. But there've also been these almost heroic moments where the federal government has stepped in. I mean, even the civil war is a version of this, of these big elites who, be, for whatever reason, because of their distance from the situation, who attempt to right the wrongs. And so this sounds like this is the story exactly so we don't like a coercive top-down structure that prevents the parades from free flowing and being longer because there needs to be cops like from an anarchist perspective that's all bad but the idea of a group of you know a democratically elected body that's trying to fight against racism within these undemocratically elected secret societies that's when you start getting this balance of power and you start seeing the the value of these structures um, and then, you know the 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 radical democracy idea of just do everything from the grassroots that that seems to just never be on the table, no matter what yeah. you are talking about.
1: no. Uh, so it's interesting um. I, this American analogy keeps coming up and like I find that it's just it's an interesting way of, of thinking this and then sort of the parallels of how power develops and who yeah, I mean, my, my, these power my, positions my so. PhD
0: was in, you know, American cultural development and progress. So that's just I, I compare everything to this story. So
1: no, I mean, it's, it's the, the single myth that I use the most as mm. a, as a description when I'm teaching when I'm teaching hegemony, the one that I use for my students all the time is like the the myth of the American dream because it's so ingrained in us what America is, big idea America versus what the actuality of the founding of America, of the way this country has developed. Those are just basically in opposition and people are unaware of it. And again, that sort of works for this analogy in a lot of ways because the average tourist has no idea that any of this is going on. If these secret societies are doing their job right, I would not even be talking about them, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's ultimately what, what they would want. They want you to see Mardi Gras as this free-flowing public thing Uh, I mean, it looks good for them too. Like I said, you know, a lot of these places have um, sort of philanthropy wings and it looks good. Like they're doing something for the public when we all know that they're just racist old men being like racist and sexist and horrible. Um, And it's just such a, a, yeah, the juxtaposition of that always, always plays in my head whenever I'm out at a parade. Whenever I am thinking about this stuff, which is a lot, it's it's a lot that I think about this
0: stuff. Well, it's 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 always the call of freedom, isn't it? Right. Like that is the that is that is always the cry when when uh, there are attempts to made um, to desegregate things, to integrate them, to break down power structures. If those attempts come from someone who is perceived to be above or an organization that is perceived to be coercive it is simply so easy for them to you know throw up their hands and say look look i'm 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 being oppressed the the right. mean city government or the mean federal government won't let me be to discrim won't let me discriminate anymore and my freedoms are being violated my my
1: poor freedoms yeah it's it's exactly that and what i even to add a layer onto this, right? So one of the older crews, Rex, is known as the King of Carnival. That's, Rex is both the name of the parade and the, the guy, the King Rex hmm. is a King of Rex. Uh, and he, Rex rolls on Mardi Gras Day. It is the last, uh, well, it's complicated. There are these parades called truck parades, which would be a whole separate thing to get into, but I can't. <laughs> it's like a less, maybe a, a little bit less structured than most crews, but the last sort of official big crew that rolls on Mardi Gras Day is Rex. That's the last big one that rolls on sort of the traditional St. Charles parade route. Um, and as part of that, when they pass city hall, the mayor literally has a decree that the city is given over to Rex. If mm-hmm. We're talking about the dethroning and like crowning right. of a new king. Like it's very literal here. Literally, Rex is running the city for the day. Rex is the guy. Uh, and largely as a response to Rex in the early 1900s, uh, a black crew emerges that is sort of making fun of Rex <laughs> to a large degree, uh, which eventually forms into what is Zulu, the Zulu Social Aid and Pleasure Club, um, which is Zulu. And they roll on. Mardi Gras right before Rex. They Mm -hmm. take a slightly different route down, uh, but then they sort of wind up in the same place and they roll before Rex. Uh, And it's interesting when you talk about sort of the incorporation of power and then also sort of being in power, but never quite being in power. Zulu is such a good example of this because they have become almost as prestigious as Rex. It is the Black crew. And whether... I mean, I don't don't even say it's a debate whether there should be more or not. There should, and there are a few other traditionally Black crews that have popped up more recently, but Zulu is sort of the big Black crew. Um, But it's become part of the system. They have a ball. They they roll Mardi Gras day. They have interactions with the city. Uh, And while it will never be the level of Rex it still gets incorporated into this hierarchy, but then they still sort of stick it to Rex in these other ways. Like they, they roll before Rex and partially on the same route. And whether it is intentional or not, uh, Zulu tends to break down a decent amount or be slow a decent amount. And almost inevitably <laughs> Rex is held up by Zulu. So Rex has to run. On Zulu's time. So, Zulu is obviously given their time slot by the city. They roll at 8 a.m. on Mardi Gras morning. Mardi Gras is an early sport. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Mardi Gras morning starts early. You need to get your drinking in top of the morning. And, like, <laughs> you start off early. If you even go to bed on Lundi Gras, you're probably doing it wrong. Uh, going to bed is like a 3 p.m. situation. You got to stay up. And so, they roll very, very early and they get to sort of set there in a way that Rex does not. Rex literally can't finish their route until Zulu does. So, I mean, that's just a perfect example of the margins both being sort of pushed at, but also being the structure coming in and taking over uh, that it's as satirical or making fun of the structure as it sort of initially was as it created itself as a more established crew.
0: Yeah okay this is this is amazing right okay so we have we have this power structure you can call it the king of the government or whatever and then you've got this thing carnival mayday whatever which has a which has a fake king and is in fact a a mockery of this elite power structure but as you're telling me over time this thing that seemed to have had some sort of egalitarian roots if we can talk about this bakhtin and the way that like more things are allowed Now it's just a it's just a secret society that is presumably made up of the same people who are running the city. And so when this King Rex gets crowned by the mayor, it's just one powerful elite crowning another powerful elite and the mockery has been completely lost but wait now there's Zulu. And they are keeping the mocking tradition alive, except Zulu now is a a product of the black elite and is itself this exclusive and powerful thing. And so every time this counter power, this dual power, this grassroots structure arises, it begins as a mockery of the power structure. And then the joke, whether it takes centuries or decades, ceases to be a joke, and it becomes its own form of power structure that in some ways is oppositional to the, the, the power level above it. But in really other ways, it sounds like now the city and Rex and Sulu are all sort of ba- bound together, mocking each other a little bit, and yet happy to sit with one another on top of the pyramid. Does that, does that sound right?
1: To some degree. I do not think that Rex is happy to sit with Zulu on top of the pyramid. I will be honest. I think that Rex would be very happy to sit up there relatively alone. With Comus. actually, there is a big tradition. There's so many little traditions that I could talk about and get lost in. But uh, at the evening, Mardi Gras evening, that night, uh, the big thing that happens that, again, tourists would never know about, never think about, is the meeting of the courts, where the court of Rex. Uh, is invited by by Comus over to Comus to their ball, and they come and dance with each other's queens, and they air this on like local the local PBS station, like your local. Oh yeah, no, my friends and I watching the meeting of the courts is a sport. Like it's it's we the mockery of it is real. Like we do a full. Thing. You can look up meeting of the courts or Rex Comus uh, that evening, like on Twitter. You will see people like it is a whole thing. It's become a whole thing on its own to make fun of it. But this is, it's been airing on, you know, public television since as long as I can remember. And it's, you know, a tradition at least within my family and within many locals that I know to watch the meeting of the courts. And you just watch these people where all of the, Girls will tell you what school they go to. And it's always like, you know, she goes to UVA and is like a kinesiology major. <laughs> and I not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's sort of the the consistent narrative. And an, an old man, a young girl. And like I said, for the on the coma side, you never even know who Coma is. He literally wears a mask the entire time. You don't even see his face. Um, and that's the it's a wax mask. It's very creepy. The whole thing is very creepy. (laughs) Um, it's, you know, so that sort of, uh, that sort of power structure is there. So maybe that's the only people that Rex would want to be associated with is the people who are maybe even a little bit higher than them. Don't come for me, Rex crew members. I know that you think that you're the highest. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I guess this is another, this is another way in which the, you know, the, 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 Rex, uh, it sounds to me like Rex really needs and benefits a lot from Zulu's existence, and Zulu helps keep Rex where it is, but you would never find the Rex people admitting that.
1: Never, not once, not ever. Uh, I think that that is well understood. You cannot really talk about Mardi Gras Day without talking about those two crews, and they sort of go there in sort of the public the other thing that I would bring up if we're talking about power structures, and especially when the city race is a huge, a huge issue, um, is something that is, I don't know, my particular fascination that I really love within looking at Mardi Gras, which is the cultural geography uh, mm. of Mardi Gras, right, so the, the, the way that we not just sort of where the parades are, though there is some of that, there used to be more neighborhood parades and after Katrina there are not a lot of neighborhood parades, they run mostly on the same route, um, which is again, another subject that we tangent on for just an indefinite amount of time. Um, But where people stand on the parade route uh, has its own structure that is tied to class and race in a way that you would just not expect, right? you think like, oh, you just go out to the parade. And again, for tourists, that is often true. Parades start in um, uptown neighborhoods. That's sort of our delineation of neighborhoods. They start uptown, they move towards the corner downtown. Uh, and there is a clear delineating line. I can give an example of their their, that are walking crews rather than rolling cruise. Um, And there's a walking crew that I know someone in was invited, it's all male. They march on Mardi Gras day between Zulu and Rec. There's like these few little walking crews of just old men who hand out flowers to pretty young women and that's kiss them for flowers. It's a whole other, again, so many little things, it's just weird little traditions. Uh, when they go through this Dividing line of Jackson Street, I can tell you, which is the street that Zulu comes down where they join the main parade route. Um, this person who I know heard another crew member say, Hold on to your wallets, boys. Yeah. The wow. implication being that we are now in a black neighborhood, uh, which it isn't even really, but like <laughs> there is uh, part of it. So the St. Charles which is where the parades are on one side of it, on the river side of it. We divide things by the river, the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain, which is far on the other side, but we talk about the side and lake side of things. So on the the river side of things uh, is a lot of wealthier white people. And on the lake side of that is one of the traditionally uh, most underserved neighborhoods in the city. Um, And so you are going to get a larger popul a larger black population sort of after that point um, because it's an easier place and also traditionally that's where the the interstate um, not too far from there the interstate goes over that and under the bridge is traditionally the best spot for bands uh, for all the bands that are marching in the parades and that tends to be again traditionally uh, a larger black population who have either family members, children who are in those bands, um, or who that is a more central pull than these rich white men Mm -hmm. up on floats, uh, because that's a community tie. So that sense of cultural geography, and then it breaks down even further, right? So it's not just the dividing line of the street there, it breaks down even further to on the riverside, you would call that during Mardi Gras, all these little names. Uh, during Mardi Gras, you would call the riverside the sidewalk side, because when you are on the Mardi Gras parade or on St. Charles, there's sidewalk on that side. And the other side on the lakeside is what most people would call medians, we call neutral grounds. Uh, and because it's a divided by a neutral ground street, on the other side is neutral grounds. So you have neutral ground side, sidewalk side. And again, cultural geography, people are very stuck on where they stand, mm. if you are a sidewalk side or a neutral ground side. And sidewalk side has somewhat of an implication that you I'm trying to even figure out the right way to say this. Uh, tra- it tends to be, uh, I would say, a little bit, a little bit whiter, a little bit wealthier, even in these um, na- in these different neighborhoods. And a large part of that is because who owns property there, right? There's a limited again going back to things like I'm in the box. There's a limited way to get in. You have to get in there, parking becomes limited. And if you know someone where you can park earlier or someone owns property in that neighborhood, you are probably going to be able to get to the sidewalk side more easily. The neutral ground side is not the blocked inside of the parade route. That's the open side of the parade route. And so it's easier to stand on the neutral ground side. There's also more room. You're not abutting a house, it's a larger area. And so there's a, a larger variety there on the nuclear side. And so this cultural geography uh, is, I, I find it deeply fascinating as to who stands where and all of these little traditions that come with that, right, if you are traditionally, if you stand in a certain spot and your friends all know that that's where you are, that's, they'll know where you are. And if you change that, that's a whole thing. And part of that really depends on like which parades you go to, uh, what what experience it is that you want to get out of that, if you want to be in a place where it is traditionally more family-friendly, which is what people say when they mean a white neighborhood, um, to be honest, I'll say a family-friendly area, uh, which are also usually earlier. I mean, they are earlier in the Prairie route. They're further uptown. And so people will say, well, you can leave more easily and get your kids home earlier. So like where you stand, um plays into to a lot of that and it's just really fascinating the traditions that people come up with based in that and how they feel like protective of their spots how people see the same people that they don't see the rest of the year in their in their locations uh, and again speaking of structure coming down <laughs> and like people taking over there are rules right there are certain areas that have barricades. Some of that is just based on crowd control, but the, the city gets to set that up. If you are within a certain area, it's harder to even physically walk because of certain barricades to another place. Uh, and people come out and claim spots. People, you will see them camping out. There is uh with someone, we saw the first remnants of, or the first, not first remnants, the first sign of uh, people spray painting the neutral ground. To claim a spot, Uh, and we were we were teasing that you know nature is healing. They're coming back to like already spray paint their spot. So Mardi Gras is happening. It was a a sign to us. But it's interesting how people start feeling protective over these areas uh, and start claiming them. And again, while you can say that that's sort of an organization that they have formed, and look at it from that perspective, you can also see it as them creating a space that is their own and blocking it off.
0: I, I don't want to take you, take up too much more of your time. The, the last thing that I feel like we need to talk about, well, besides all the stuff I thought about that I would love to talk about is the, f- the final element. So I think we have gone through all, not all, but many of the ways that this is a grassroots or organic created thing. And the way that that gets subverted over and over and over and over again. So the la- last thing is do what you want to like in, in what respect, is the actual day and an expression of freedom and people doing what they want to or in what respect is it just you, everyone is doing what they are supposed to do Mardi Gras behavior is 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 preconceived and expected and hierarchical you've mentioned you know the men have the power over the women's bodies like it so do, do you actually do what you want on on Mardi Gras
1: day yes and no so again, <laughs> never <laughs> always more questions uh yes and no so to some degree yes right to some degree uh the the city shuts down and when i say that i will obviously put the caveat of uh people in certain like in a lot of service industry positions Mm -hmm. uh do not get this day off they are making a lot of their money that day and people who work like fast food jobs or uh, certain jobs like that definitely do not get the day off. And obviously there is a hierarchy in that as Mm -hmm. well. There's a privilege in getting that off, but we like to say the city shuts down. It is, uh, you know, the banks are not open. Schools are not open. Everything is shut down in that respect. Um, If you want to spend Mardi Gras day in your pajamas doing nothing, go for it. You have the day off. It is a day off officially. You want to wake up at 6am and go downtown and walk with this, uh, walking crew, uh, through the streets of the Marigny and the and see all of the costumes and the sights and then stay out drinking till 9pm. Like, go for it. No one's going to stop you. You can do anything it was in in that sense. Of course, there are rules within that. Uh, you know, for all that we think of, like women flashing their tits and whatever, uh, when we think of Mardi Gras, those, the cultural geography plays into this a lot. If you do this in the Marine or the French, you're likely to maybe just get like a little bit of a side, do this on the parade route. Mm-hmm it will not go well for you. Uh, same thing with things like public urination and things like that, right? Where if you do it in certain spots, people will be like, yeah. And if you do it in front of children, I once saw a man, uh, pee against a synagogue that is on the way out and get taken down by the police so fast and so hard. And I was maybe eight and that has stuck with me. Right. So there are uh, there are rules within that. There are still, even if it is do what you wanna, uh, the cops can still arrest you. They can still come for you, and you uh, you can't entirely do what you, want. you can't. Again, you can't like jump into the parade and decide that that's what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you can't, um, run amuck in the way, but. You can decide that you're gonna like smack some glitter on your titties and like go out into the world and feel like this is how you are presenting yourself for the day. You can decide that you want everyone to look at you in costume and the art of costuming, something that we have not even gotten into. Yeah, I can't believe that. uh, Which is a, a whole other thing. And like quickly the idea obviously of masking plays into this, right, where you can be someone else. But again, within those rules, you still have to follow certain rules when you are when you are doing this. And some of those are like physical limitations, like you can't walk down the street if your thing is too big, like you literally won't fit. And some of those are like uh, more metaphorical limitations of what people feel comfortable, or if it's more for any of the things that play into this. Um, so again, yes and no, like do I, Go out and, like, an insane person, much every Mardi Gras day. Yeah, just about. <laughs> I love Mardi Gras. Like, I will, I am part of a crew. We roll on the Saturday before Mardi Gras during the day. Uh, I love it. I love being part of a crew. I am a Mardi Gras girl. Like, I am out there, raids. Love it. I love everything about it. But I think that it is impossible to be someone who knows something about not be aware of all of these different pieces while you're doing it. So even as you are doing what you wanna, even as you are enacting this sense of carnival and giving yourself over to all of these pleasures and all of this lovely delight and everything to offer for you, it's hard to uh, completely let go of looking around around on Mardi Gras day in the French quarter and noticing that it's majority white faces in a majority black city in that particular part of the celebration it's hard to not see all of those pieces once you are aware of it
0: okay that that seems like a wonderful place <laughs> to to end so um you know do do mardi Gras do carnival just just remember that you are free and you are also
1: and not you free. are not yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Meredith. This has been a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. That was a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot. I had no idea the role of secret societies and hierarchies and the way that Mardi Gras is bottom up and top down and bottom up again. All that stuff was fascinating to me. I hope it was fascinating to you as well. And again, I apologize for some of the technical difficulties. Next episode, we will be back with Anarchism 101 and Proudhon. I also need to remind you that I really need your help to keep this show going. So if you can go to everydayanarchism.com and support the show, that would mean so much to me. And if you're not in the position to give financial support right now, a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts helps a lot as well. Thanks, everyone. All that's left to say is that the music, which you're about to hear, is by David Hill.